Shall we pray? Father, we thank you that we can call you Father. We thank you for the Holy Ghost. We thank you for Jesus. And we thank you for not giving up on us. We ask that may Christ alone be exalted in our discussion in the name of Jesus. Amen. Wow. We thank God for qualifying us for life, the gift of life. We thank God so much. And we are continuing our study on the series we have titled In the Garden. And this is our second episode of In the Garden. So as we did for last week, we are perusing Genesis chapter 3. And as I was just preparing my notes, God was just showing some things that were quite interesting. So last week we looked at the verse 1 and the early part of the verse 2. Today we'll be looking at from the verse 2 to the verse 6. But I just want to read it from verse 1 to verse 6. Now the serpent was more subtle than any of the beasts of the field which the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, Did God really say you should not eat any of the trees of the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, We may eat of the fruit of the trees of the garden, but of the fruit of the tree which is in the middle of the garden, God has said, You shall not eat of it, neither shall you touch it, lest you die. And the serpent said to the woman, You shall not surely die, for God knows that in the day you would eat thereof. Then your eyes shall be opened. Then you shall be like gods, knowing good and evil. Verse 6. And when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, and that it was pleasant to the eye, and a tree to be desired to make one wise, she took of the fruit thereof, and did it, and gave it to her husband with her, and he also did it. Other version says, and he gave it to her husband who was with her. And last week, we established the fact that there's the reality of the presence of a serpent. And we look in Revelations chapter 12, verse 9, that emphasizes the fact that the serpent that Genesis chapter 3 was talking about is actually the devil or Satan or the old dragon. So in Revelation chapter 12, verse 9, we are given the names of the devil. And these names are all unique because they give us a hint about the oppression of the devil. And I know I said something last week that some of you may either be hearing it for the first time or may not agree to it, but I think that's the truth in scripture, that there's only one devil and there are many demons. I know that some Bible or some verses and some rendering of some verses, it goes like devils, cast out devils or something of that sort. But there's only one devil and there are many demons. Maybe when we look at demonology, we would understand why there can be only one devil with several demons, but that's not a topic for tonight and we establish some truth that when the devil comes in a scene his main agenda or his main attack is the word of god he doesn't come to ask how you are doing he doesn't come to check on your welfare your well-being he doesn't come to keep you company no when he comes, he goes straight to the point and his agenda is to get the word of god out of your life there's so much to that but the agenda of the enemy is to snatch the word of god from your life immediately he does that you are as good as dead 
And we started that the first agenda of the enemy, or the first way by which he stands out the word of God, is by sowing doubt into your life or into your heart. And we want to just go a step further. And we concluded that the mistake I should say that Eve made is in the verse 2. And the woman said to the serpent, we may eat of the fruit of the trees of the garden. That was the first thing she made wrong. And we established the fact that we do not engage the devil. We do not have conversations with the devil. And I gave a scenario of how Jesus had the same issue, had a similar instance. When the devil came to him, just after God had told Jesus that thou art my beloved son, in whom I'm well pleased, the devil also came in the next chapter and says that if you are the son of God, God has already said you are my son. And the devil is throwing down. And I we took note of the response of Jesus. He immediately counteracted the statement of the devil with the word of God. Now let's look at another scenario in Mark chapter 5. The way we should attack this voice when it comes. Mark chapter 5, the verse 35 and the verse 36. Now Jesus was on his way to heal the daughter of the leader of the synagogue. And on his way, the woman with the issue of blood for 12 years stopped him, touched the hem of the garment, and because of that, he had to stop, etc. So now, whilst he was interacting with the woman with the issue of blood, this is what happens in the verse 35. While he yet spoke, there came from the ruler of the synagogue's house certain men who said, your daughter is dead. Why trouble you the master anymore? So whilst Jesus was on his way to heal the daughter, the woman with the issue of blood stopped him, so there was a delay. So whilst Jesus was interacting with this woman, then people from the house of the leader of the synagogue came and said that, please leave Jesus alone because your daughter is dead. Now look at the verse 6. The Bible said that as soon as Jesus heard the word that was spoken, he said, do not be afraid, only believe. As soon as, that's what I want you to take note. This is the way we respond to the devil. As soon as a voice comes that is contradictory to the word of God, you must respond immediately. So I want to just take other versions so that you would see the rapt or the response or the speed at which Jesus responded. The verse 6. Another verse says, and Jesus immediately said, another version says that, um, but when Jesus heard them, he said, stop being afraid, just believe. So I want us to see the speed by which we should attack every voice of the devil. Immediately they told the leader that your daughter is dead. Do not disturb the master any longer. So immediately they were trying to sow the seeds of doubt into the life of the ruler. The Bible said, and as soon as Jesus heard it, he said, do not be afraid only believe and this is the way we should respond to every seed of the devil because when you don't do that when you try to engage the devil in a discussion what happened to eve is what will happen to you and i think i said that we you are not smarter than the devil so please don't give yourself too much credit with all the school you have gone to with all the phd with all the first in class you have had please you are not smarter than the devil but the reason why this is important is because the main arsenal of the devil is lies in fact the bible calls him the father of lies now let's look at that scripture john chapter 8 verse 44 jesus is speaking and jesus is giving us a very interesting information about the devil he says that you are of your father the devil you see this is the reason why we can't have many devils because your father was talking about the Pharisees and the scribes. You are of the father the devil. He didn't say you are of the father the devils. And I said, maybe subsequently we do it. Okay? You are of your father the devil. And the last of your father you will do. He was a murderer from the beginning. Let me read the King James, sorry. Yes, he was a murderer from the beginning and abode not in the truth 
because there is no truth in him. When he speaks a lie, he speaks of his own, for he is a liar and the father of it. Now, this is the reason why under no circumstance should you ever engage the devil. Because whatever the devil says, if he quotes scripture, he is telling a lie. And he is the father of lies. He is the master of lies. He is the originator of lies. Lies is his genetic makeup. Anything the devil ever tells you, my name is Sam. The day the devil tells me my name is Sam, it's a lie. That's how we should understand these things. That is why in Ephesians chapter 6, verse 11, I want to buttress this point because it's very important. Because many of us have been ignorant of his devices. Therefore, we have been giving him a foothold in our lives. Now, the Bible is saying that put on the whole armor of God. Why should we put on the whole armor of God? That we may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. Now, wiles simply means the cunning acts the deceit, the craftiness, and the trickery of the devil. So the whole armor of God that we should put on is so that we'll be able to stand against the lies of the devil. So that's the only arsenal you have to fight against the lies of the devil is not your education. It's not your family history. It's nothing else than the whole armor of God. And you see, this is how it works. The devil sows lies into your heart. He sows doubt and you will look at it in Genesis chapter 3, how the progression takes. Now, let's also look at 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 3. It says that, For though we walk in the flesh, we do not war after the flesh. For the weapons of our welfare are not carnal, but they are mighty through God, to the pulling down of strongholds the casting down of imaginations, images, and everything that exalts itself against the knowledge of God and bring into captivity every thought to the disobedience of Christ. So now, what is this thing? Is that this life we are in? There's a warfare that is going on, but this warfare is not the one that uses fire weapons or use swords or use weapons. It's not of this flesh. But the war we are engaged in as believers is not after the flesh. But we have some arsenals, and the arsenals that God has given to us, what do they target? They target strongholds. And now. Your Bible will put semicolon. Explaining what these strongholds are. These strongholds are imaginations and they are knowledge that exalts itself above the knowledge of God. This is very important for you to understand. So when the devil is speaking into you or when the devil gives you a word, he is sowing a seed that will grow into an image in your mind. This image now becomes a stronghold. And this image or the information that the devil will give you, it's always an information that wants to exalt itself above the information God has given to you. So that we don't engage the devil. So just as the way Jesus responded in Mark chapter 5, verse 35 and 36, as soon as... So sweet that immediately you hear the voice of the devil. As soon as this is the way we should respond to him, we don't engage him. We don't rationalize things with him. We don't have a discussion with him. We don't have a board meeting with him because there is no circumstance you can ever outsmart the devil. There is no circumstance you can ever overcome the lies of the devil outside of the word of God, outside the armor of God. So the armor that God has given to us is for us to be able to stand against the trickery of the devil. Don't underestimate his lies. Now, let's go back to our scripture, Genesis chapter 3. It's quite interesting that the lies of the devil, like, they don't look anything so cunning, but they are so effective. So now I want to take the progression of 
or the progression by which the lies take place. The first thing the devil said was that, did God really say? <laughs> Very interesting. The first thing is that he sowed seeds of doubt. Then the woman responded. And you know, even with her response, her response was not even accurate. But let's go to verse 3. But the fruit of the tree, which is in the middle of the garden, God has said, you shall not eat of it. Neither shall you touch it, lest you die. God never said you should not touch it. But don't worry. Let's assume that Adam didn't give the information to Eve properly. Because God said, don't eat it. That's another discussion. But now look at the verse 4. And the serpent said to the woman, you shall not die. <laughs> the first time he came, he said, did God really say? Now he has gone from being skeptical to being emphatic. He says that you shall not surely die. So now he's going directly opposite to what God has said. God told Adam that the day you will eat this thing, you will die. Now the devil is saying, you shall not die. This is what I want us to take note. The first thing is that he throws doubt and immediately you begin to engage him. So let me, let me use a more practical example. So maybe say, let's say you are working in a company, you are working in an organization, or you are working for someone, and your boss is cheating you, your boss is not treating you fairly. So then the devil will come. Ah, do you know with your certificate and the rest, you should be making more money than you should? So what is he doing? He's now sowing seeds of doubt. Immediately you engage him and you go like, oh, you know, the country is not good. This is what a lot of my mates are taking and people and other companies, the amount that they are taking. So I will just have to manage. And you go like, then the next thing you go that like, what you now go up front. Now let's look at it more practically. So God says that you should not steal. That's God's word. That's God's knowledge. And you're working in an organization that you feel underpaid or not treated properly. So the devil will come and be like, did God really say you should not take that money? After all, your boss is not treating you fairly and you are the one doing all the work. It's what is supposed to be yours. You begin to fall when you begin to engage him. Immediately such a voice comes, just as Jesus responded, as soon as you should respond with the word of God, the moment you try to engage him, then he will begin to tell you, you shall not surely die. It is not a sin to steal the money. After all, you are the one doing the work. Your boss comes to work at nine. He leaves at four. You are working for the government. The government, your tax money. That is what they used to take their children to schools abroad. That is what they used to get their cars they are driving in. That's what they used to spend on these young girls in town. You are not committing a crime if you steal taxpayers' money, if you steal government money, if you take the money in the office. So now he has gone from sowing seeds of doubt to giving outright contradictions to the word of God. Because God is saying when you eat it, you will die. The devil is saying that you shall not surely die. Maybe, and see, this is the progression of sin. Let me use another example that is an example I learned in secondary school. Now in secondary school, most of the washrooms or the easing facilities we have, they are not in the best shape. So I remember the first day I went to secondary school in Form 1. The first time I visited the washroom, immediately I couldn't ease myself. I remember so well. And I knew a teacher who was a friend. So I immediately I called the teacher that I want to speak to my parents. And I told my parents that I can't use this washroom. So if you come and take me out of this boarding facility, I can't stay here. There's no way I can use this washroom. So I was convincing them that my grandmother is around. So let me go and stay with my grandmother, then I'll be coming to school as a day student. And I don't know what happened. They told me, oh, okay, we'll talk about it. But before I realized, we never had a talk about it. And I noticed that less than a week after, the same washroom I was opposing with all my strength. I remember I and my friends that came from the same primary school. We did not visit the washroom for about two or three days. We said, this washroom, there is no way we are going there. But after a week, I don't know how, I don't know when, we forgot about 
our resolution never to use this washroom. And this same washroom that we are running away from, we got so comfortable in the washroom that we can be there and forget that there is so much stench. The place is in a terrible state. That is what sin does. That's the way the life of the devil is. When it comes at first, you behave. You'll be very alert. But the mistake you will do is when you'll be like, let me go and see how it is like. After all, I won't die. Then the thing that you were so opposing to now you become comfortable with it. And that's what we see. So now in the verse 5, I'll talk about it, but let me go to the verse 6. I'll get back to the verse 5. Now when the woman saw, so now you see what, the devil has sowed seeds, and now these seeds are becoming imaginations. Remember in 2 Corinthians 10 verse 3, casting down what? Imaginations. So now the devil first sows seeds of doubt, and when he sees you are engaging him, then he begins to tell you outright that no, what God has said is not what it is. But because you are engage the devil you have lost your footing then now you begin to imagine the pleasantness of what the lie was carrying and, then, and when the woman saw that the tree was good for food and it was pleasant to the eyes and it was desirous to make one wise then she took off the fruit that's all it's as simple as that but now let's go back to the verse 5 now listen to what the devil says for god knows that in the day you would eat of it your eyes shall be open and you shall be like god knowing good and evil so now he first goes by sowing seeds of doubt he then goes by saying is the direct opposite what god says is will happen will not happen then he begins to tell you why god is hindering you from enjoying something good and this is what happens to many of us all the time. This is the same trick that keeps repeating itself over and over and over again. And only one who has put on the whole armor of God, that's the only person who can overcome the trickery of the enemy. Now, the enemy then goes by making God a liar. Because God said, when you eat it, you will die. And the devil is saying that you will not die. He's now making God a liar. And the whole agenda of the enemy is to make God a liar in your life. That is why all the promises in the Bible, you are struggling in court or you are not seeing the manifestation of many of them. He says by his stripes you are healed, yet still you are feeling that cancer in your body. Yes, still you are having that diabetes in your body. Yes, still you are having that pain in your body. God says that if I do not give you Jesus, I will not withhold anything good from you. You can't pay your bills. You are not getting a good job. So the whole agenda of the enemy in your life is to make God a liar. He says he will give you a good spouse. He, God, instituted marriage. Why would he withhold a good spouse from you? Then the devil goes like, God knows that he's keeping something good from you. The devil always presents us with the notion that God is keeping something good from you. So the devil will come to you, did God really say sex outside marriage is wrong? He's throwing a seed of doubt. You'll be like, oh, well, you know, because of sexually transmitted disease and etc. So he's saying that, you should only have sex within your faithful partner. You begin to give us the philosophical answers. Then immediately the devil sees that you are engaging in a conversation. Then you go like, ah, you will not surely die. It is not a sin to fornicate. It is not a sin to commit adultery. It is not a sin to steal because God is preventing you from enjoying something good. How will you know you and your partner are compatible if you do not have sex before marriage? How would you know your partner will satisfy you sexually if you do not have sex before marriage? And now the same thing you were opposing, now you begin to rationalize. And then what happens? You begin to imagine how good it is. Many of us, when we were young, we knew outright that fornication was a sin. We knew outright that taking someone's husband was a sin. We knew outright that taking money that does not belong to you is a sin. We knew outright that lying is a sin. 
But because we are engaging the devil, we are now rationalizing what we knew that God has said. And he always presents us with the imagery that God is keeping something good from you, that God is withholding something good from you. And this is the same thing that happened to the prodigal son. He fell for the lie that there was a better life outside the father's house. He fell for the lie that the father is keeping something good from him. So therefore, you must go out. And you see, the interesting thing which I want to conclude with that the devil's lies, they sound so truthful. That's the main reason why most of the times we fall. Because take note, God told Adam that the day you eat it, you would surely die. Now the question was, when Adam ate it, did he die that day? That's the question that we answer next week. And listen to what happened. Listen to what the devil said. He said that, for God knows that when you shall eat it, your eyes will be open and you shall be like God, knowing good and evil. Now let's look at the verse 7 to the verse 6, day 8. And look at the verse 7. And the eyes of them both were open. So the question I want to leave you for next week is, who told a lie, God or the devil? Because the devil said, in the day you eat it, your eyes will be open. You will be like God, knowing good and evil. And the verse 7, we are told that immediately they ate it, their eyes were open. But God says, if you eat it, you will die. So the question is, who told a lie, God or the devil? And this is how cunning the devil is. His lies sound like the truth. His lies sound like the truth. That is why we should give the response that Jesus gave as soon as the devil sows seeds of doubt. Don't allow this doubt to get to the next level. Before you realize, you start imagining things and you start seeing how God is withholding something good from you. You are a lady, you are 28, you are 29, you are 30, you don't even have a boyfriend or a beloved. When are you going to get one? When are you going to get to know yourself? And when are you going to get married? When are you going to have children? God is keeping something good from you. That is the lie of the devil. You are 40 years old. You have been working in this company. Can't you see that the salary you are getting, you cannot build a house, you cannot buy a car, you cannot pay your children's fees? The lies of the devil. Can't you see that you have been serving God, you have been paying your tithes? Are you experiencing the heavens opened over your life? You barely are able to make it throughout the month. Yet still you are paying your tithes. Yet still you are a giver. Who is telling a lie in your life? God or the devil. I would like to pause here, even as I invite my friends. And Benji would go first. Thank you very much for this opportunity. Yeah, I think a lot has been said concerning the schemes of the devil, how he tempts us and everything. But I would like to touch on something in the verse 6. Genesis chapter 3, verse 6. It says, And when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, it was pleasant to the eye, and a tree to be desired to make one wise. She took of the food thereof, and did it, and gave also unto her husband, and he did it. My emphasis is on the first part. It said, and when the woman saw that the tree was good for food. So I think even after Satan had tried to deceive Eve into eating the fruits, the Bible said that the woman looked at the tree and she saw that it was good for food. So we could know from the scripture that ever since God told them not to eat from the tree, they had been avoiding the tree like almost all the time. Yeah. Maybe if they are passing through the garden and they see that they are going towards the tree, they will just quickly withdraw. But it was after the devil had suggested to them about the tree, that was when Eve started to look at the tree and then she got lured into eating the fruit and also giving the husband. So that's part of the schemes of the devil. 
Now, because we believe in the word of God, it helps us to withdraw ourselves from sin. Our conversation with the devil does, beginning to reason out the lies that he gives to us. It draws us into looking at the object of temptation that is causing us to fall. So I just want to admonish us and entreat us that we should do our possible best to avoid. Because if Eve had not looked at the tree, she wouldn't have seen that the tree was good food and was pleasant to the eyes, even after the devil had lured her into eating the fruit. So I just want to entreat us that we should, through the agency of the word of God, we should try our possible best to stay away from sin. And as Sam was saying, we can't reason with the devil. He is the father of lies. And one way he talked about we using the word of God as, or the armor of God as a means of warden of the devil. And I think another way that the Bible suggests is in the book of James chapter 4 verse 7. That says that submit yourselves therefore to God. Resist the devil and he will flee. So we see this in the temptation of Jesus. That's in Matthew chapter 4 verse 4 to I think 10 down. After the devil had tempted Jesus Christ three times. If Jesus Christ had not said get behind me Satan. It would have been about of like they would have gone forth and back about Satan tempting Jesus and then it will be like quoting scriptures here and there, here and there. But it was after Jesus had told Satan to get behind him, that was when the devil left him. Even that one, the Bible said that and he departed from him for a season. Now as he came back again through Peter and even when Jesus Christ was in the Garden of Gethsemane. And also in Matthew chapter 16, when Peter tried to convince Jesus out of not dying, Jesus told Peter that get behind me, Satan. Yeah, so anytime the devil tries to lure us into sin, one of our weapons is the word of God. And the word of God tells us emphatically to resist him and then he will flee. God, if you are not careful, it is going to be a battle of the Isaiah scriptures. You will be quoting here and there and then before you realize you have been lured into the snare of the devil. So I'm just entreating us that one arsenal that we can use against the devil is just to resist him, not to get into a conversation with him. Just resist the devil and he will flee. Amen. Amen and amen. The devil tries to get your attention. If he can let you focus on that tree, he knows he has got your attention. Never give the devil your attention. So we would invite Abena to give us her commentary. Okay, so from the verses we read today, I think the first mistake Eve made was in continuing or engaging in a discussion with the devil. And if we read Jude chapter 1 verse 9, it says that, But even Michael, one of the mightiest of the angels, did not dare accuse the devil of blasphemy, but simply said, The Lord rebuke you. And over here, I believe that angel Michael didn't even start discussing with the devil. He just simply rebuked him. So I think when we get into a situation with the devil, it's not now that you are coming to ask questions or like start the whole thing. Like just rebuke him and leave. As Benji said, flee from the book of James. And Satan can only work effectively when he has a hold on us. And that's why when we read Ephesians chapter 4, verse 27, it says that neither give place to the devil. So don't even give him a, a place to even stand, to even like get a hold of you. Because if he gets a hold of you, 
Like he'll use his cunning ways and you'll be deceived. And as we learned last week, his ways are so cunning that sometimes you can't even like solve like whatever he's trying to say. You are just deceived by him. And Satan makes us doubt the badness of sin as we realize from what he did to Eve. He makes us doubt it, whether it's bad or not. And we can see that by when he was saying, if the fruit was good, why didn't God want you to have it? When he made that statement, he made it look like the sin was rather good and God was rather bad by keeping the good things for himself. So right now, what I'm trying to say is that he made it look like eating the fruit was good and God was rather being bad by keeping the fruit from Eve. And he does things like this by easily adding a little truth to the lie that he has told. So he puts a little truth in it. And that's when you start to question yourself. And if you have to present a thousand reasons for you to believe that that sin is right, you do it. And we can easily find this, like, even in our everyday life. When you are going through something, maybe you want to commit a sin or you are presented with a sin. Like any kind of sin, whether it's stealing, fornication, like even just maybe stealing meat from a soup or stealing money from your mother. He'll bring so many excuses up in your head. And I'm sure we've all gone through that. Like He brings up so many excuses on why that sin is good. And when this happens, you should know that it is the devil talking to you. So for example, you are working somewhere and maybe you know your boss is corrupt. So he has the money through corrupt ways. And then maybe you're going to steal the money and something tells you, this man cried, the money that he has, he didn't even work for it. So what's the point in me taking it? Like it's not his, the money is not his in the first place. So if I steal it, I haven't stolen his money because it's not for him in the first place. Or my boss has so much money. He doesn't use the money for anything. He just keeps it. What's the point in him keeping it? Or you're stealing meat from soup and you know maybe meat or fish is not good for your mother or something and she's always eating and eating it. But then you're like, this woman, she's not even supposed to be eating meat in the first place. Let me just steal this meat. She'll not even know. There's nothing wrong with it. And it just goes like that. Let's know that when these things happen, the devil is just trying to convince us in a very cunning way to be able to doubt what is right. But we shouldn't fall for such things. Amen. 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 Stealing meat from the soup. I don't know why. <laughs> but it's very true. Especially the sin of unforgiveness and the sin of ingratitude. You know, sometimes somebody can hurt you to an extent that you feel justified or you have justifiable reasons why you should not forgive the person. And that is what the devil does. So with the sin of unforgiveness and ingratitude, it's two sins that we get reasons or the devil always give us more than enough reasons why we should not forgive, why we should be ungrateful to people. Maybe in your opinion, you felt like your parents could have done more than what they did for you. You felt like your parents did not give you the best in life. So now that you have made it in life, you don't see any reason why you should show appreciation to your parents. Some of us to the sin of unforgiveness. You felt like you have been betrayed, you have been hurt, that there was no reason. The person had no excuse to hurt you. The person no excuse to lie to you. The person has no excuse to do what the person did. Because of that, you think you have a solid reason why not to forgive. Remember that these are all seeds of the devil. He gives you reasons why what God has said 
that you should forgive someone. He tells you that, did God really say you should forgive? And immediately you begin to engage him. And before that, he will start telling you that, no, you should not forgive. For God knows that if you forgive, people will take you for granted. People will take your lenience for your weakness. And we come up with all sorts of philosophical quotes. Remember that any contradiction to the voice of God is a knowledge that wants to rise above the knowledge of God. And the only way is to put on the whole armor of God. We shall invite Baba. Okay, thank you. God doesn't aim at depriving us from anything that we want or desire. But usually the devil presents things or situations that are very pleasing and very tempting at the moment or in the situation that we might find ourselves in. So I would say that in a situation where you find yourself trying to face on with the devil or anything, you just have to stand on the power of the word of God and then back out. Don't allow the devil to lead you on because eventually you might be the one to fall when you go head on with the devil. So in such a situation, just know that God doesn't aim at depriving you of anything. And anything he says in in his word that is yours is certain, is yes, and then it's amen. So don't look for the cunning and then the crafty devices that the enemy will come at, at you to make the word of God seem like a lie to you in that very situation because his divine power has given us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him. So let's hold on to the divine power of the Lord that has given us all things and then put the devil under our feet. Amen. Amen. God bless you, Baba. Bene will give us the final comment. Bene. Okay, thank you very much. I also say that um, the devil shifts our focus from the many wonderful things God has blessed us with to the one thing we may be expecting from God. So God may, um, may have told you to be patient about something. He may have told you to trust him or wait for him concerning a particular thing because it's outside his will or against his word. But then the devil makes you forget all the goodness of God towards you And then I'm very sure that the Lord may have given Adam and Eve a very wide range of trees to eat from, probably hundreds and like hundreds of trees. But the devil made God look bad because he denied them the permission to eat from the one tree. So the devil will make you focus on one particular thing and make you ignorant of all that God has done for you. So likewise, God may have blessed you with life. God may have given you good health, intelligence, wisdom. God may have given you a good family, good upbringing, good friends to help you, and many, many countless blessings. But the devil makes you ignorant of all those things that God has done for you and make you focus on the one particular job God has told you to be patient for. He makes you focus on the healing you are longing for. He makes you focus on the beloved you're expecting from God. So you only focus on that particular one thing and you conclude that because God has not done that particular one thing for you, God is not good or God is not kind. But then I want to assure you that your claim lacks enough evidence Regardless, your claim that because God has not done this particular thing for me, God is no good to me. It lacks enough 
evidence, then it's pointless because your life and all that God has really given to you is priceless. And there can never be a way that God would be like, not good to you in quotes. So sometimes you may be in a very difficult situation, which is hard, but know that God loves you and works all for your good. So do not fall for the lie that God has not been generous to you because of one particular thing he has said no to you. And the second thing I want to talk about is, is in verse 6. It says that the Bible said, When the woman saw that the tree was good for food, it was pleasant to the eyes, and it was desirable to make one wise, she took and she ate. So it wasn't the bad side or the negative consequences of eating the fruit that attracted Eve. It was the good side in quotes. The Bible says that it was pleasant to the eyes, that it was desirable to make one wife attracted her, and not that she would die or like the whole entire creation would be corrupted. Yeah. So the devil presents the desirable and the attractive parts of sin to us. So all oh, the moments of pleasure that you will enjoy when you are fornicating will be that which will attract you. And not that you defile yourself or the temple of God, that you get money, you get riches and fame will attract you. And not that you face God's judgments when you lie or you steal or you make money through this honest means. So I want us to know that no matter how good a thing looks or no matter how acceptable it's in the eyes of men or those around you, if it's not God's will for you, if it's against God's word, it is not good for you, no matter how pleasant it seems. Um, James chapter 1 verse 17 says that every good and perfect gift is from above. And so every good and perfect gift is from God. Therefore, if there's anything that you are longing for, which is outside God's word, which is outside God's will for your life, know that no matter how pleasant it seems, no matter how desirable it seems, no matter how good it seems, it is not good for you and it is not acceptable and you don't have to go for it or run after it. Thank you. God bless you so much. Of all the trees in the garden, one tree that God said do not touch, that's the one that will make you wise. I really pray that we really take our time and look through ourselves, assess all the options life always gives us. And let's see if you are falling for the lies of the devil, that God knows that the day you do this, God is withholding something good from you. Sweetheart, God is not withholding anything good from you. God is not withholding anything good from you. So even in 1 Timothy 6.16, he said that for godliness with contentment is great gain. Because sometimes you will look around, when you begin to look, you have all these blessings. Yes, the one thing that God is even about to give to you, but you don't have yet, then you make you feel as though God has been wrong or God has not been good to you. Some of you have the gift of parents, you don't appreciate it. You have parents, you have both your father and your mother. They are, they are giving you food to eat, they close your back. Yes, so many of you don't appreciate that gift. Some of you have a place to sleep. Yes, to complaining because your friend has a car or your friend's parent has bought a car for him or her and you are still picking 
the public transport. Do not use those things to say that God has not been good to you. So for this evening, we want to rebuke every thought, every seed of the devil in our lives. The devil was come to you and say, did God really say, I will bless you? Yes, God said. He wants to take any aspect of your life and want to declare the word of God concerning your life. Any aspect of your life, want to declare the word of God. Did God really say you get a good marriage? Yes, God said I'll get a good marriage. Did God really say I would heal you? Yes, he said by the stripes of Jesus. He already purchased my healing. Did God really say I'll make you great? Did God really say the dream that I gave to you? Just like Joseph, he had two dreams. He saw one, the sun and the moon star bowing down to him. He saw another one where 11 ships was bowing down to his ships. Yesterday, he found himself in a place. Yesterday, he found himself as a slave. And he found himself in, in the prison. But because he knew that as long as God has said it, God will do it. And God really say, he will bless you, he will make you great. Yes, God has said it. We decree into our lives that every word of God concerning our lives come to pass. For the lines have fallen unto us in pleasant places. We have a goodly heritage because the Lord is our shepherd. We have no wants in life. He leads us beside the still waters. He leads us in the paths of righteousness. He anoints our head with oil. He prepares a table before us in the presence of our enemies because of Christ. The blessings of Abraham are ours. Anytime the devil wants to doubt whatever word God has given to you, remember to pick up the arsenal of his word. Whenever the devil comes and says, did God really say, yes, God has said. Did God God really say you give back? Yes, God has said you give back. Did God really say He has forgiven you? Many of us have been bamboozled by the guilt and the condemnation of our past, but God has said that through the blood of Jesus, He has wiped away every sin. Your sin He does not remove anymore. The Bible says that He has made you a new creation. Nothing new has a history. So that I came to remind you that there was to keep you captive of your sin, but God has said that you are a new Christian. Did God really say you are a new Christian? Yes, God has said. God has said you are a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a pulled out people. Sweet as God has said you are blessed. The blessings of Abraham are yours. Whenever the devil tries to sow seeds of doubt, remember that yes, God has said. Sweet as I want this truth to be entrenched in your heart, that God is not withholding anything good from you. There may be so many delays and closed doors in your life. But remember that God is not withholding anything good from you. If God says that sex should stay within the confines of marriage, God is not withholding enjoyment from you. If God is saying don't be dishonest, God is not withholding anything good from you. For the gold is his, the silver is his, says the Lord of hosts. God bless you so much. Remember that next week we are answering the question, who told the lie, God or the devil? Remember to give God your best and make sure you do not owe your parents honor. Make sure you do not owe your best friend a birthday gift. Make sure you do not owe anybody anything but love. See you same time next week. And God bless you for being around. Bye-bye. Bye. Bye. My soul longs for you. This heart beats for you.